you have your copies of Scripture, if you will turn uh, with me to Ecclesiastes. That's right after Proverbs, just before the Song of Solomon, somewhere about middle ways your Bible. I'm not sure what page it's on for you, uh, but if you will turn there. I don't do this very often, uh, but I want to this morning. I want to see who can guess the title of this song uh, from listening to the lyrics. Now you're probably thinking he has selected some hymn, some uh, great old hymn. You would think wrong in this case. So uh, just listen to the lyrics uh, and I'll see who can guess the song title or the group first. Okay? There's no prize here other than we will just know that you know music. And I'm not going to state whether it's good or bad. Is this the real life? Is this just fantasy? Caught in a landslide. Okay, who is it, Bobby? Queen, Queen all right. <laughs> Do you remember the name of the song? Exactly, exactly. There we go. <laughs> Bobby listened to the, some, of the, some of the greats there. Continue, continue here. You, you identified quickly. Caught in a landslide, no escape from reality. Open your eyes. Look up to the skies and see. I'm just a poor boy. I need no sympathy because I'm easy come, easy go, little high, little low. Any way the wind blows doesn't really matter to me, to me. And then the ending of the song is, nothing really matters, anyone can see. Nothing really matters, nothing really matters to me, any way the wind blows. Uh, some of you remembered it. Uh, I saw some hands go up quick, so I'm not quite sure. I wasn't looking up as I should have been. I was reading the lyrics. I should have had a spotter up here. You were first, Alina. You were, you were first. Okay. Well, just, just to acknowledge that Alina was first. And uh, Were you raising your hand or were you pointing to Bobby? Okay. Okay. All right. Well, anyway, um, it, it's the first stanza uh, of the beginning uh, ballad of what uh, is one of the signature songs of the 70s rock band, Queen. Uh, the title of the song is, Bobby, you're correct, Bohemian Rhapsody. Uh, and for those who remember the song, you'll recall the kind of the sheer strangeness of it all. It goes from a piano ballad uh, to a guitar solo uh, into an opera uh, and then back again to a ballad. It's just a strange thing. But... Uh, this was just a part of the lyrics. It doesn't communicate everything in its context if you were to go back and to look at the lyrics. But it does cause us to give attention to this. That there may be more to the song in its context. But it communicates a certain philosophy of life. And it clearly states that philosophy. In other words, it says the sum total of life means nothing. And it brings the question, is there any value in living in a fallen world? Is there anything to be gained from our lives? 
will pose this question because the author of Ecclesiastes causes us to grapple with this question. And there's a good reason why. A primary worldview question is being addressed. Who am I? How did I get here? Is my existence really important? Is there really any purpose for my living? Does my existence really matter? Is life of value in the fallen world? Before we set out on this five-week journey, I think it will be helpful to make a few general comments about our text just to help us know uh, the, the lay of the land, if you will. First, uh, it is wisdom literature. So uh, how many of you have been reading along in Ecclesiastes here over a couple of weeks now that you found that we were going to go into Ecclesiastes? How many of you have read Ecclesiastes before? How many of you have struggled with understanding Ecclesiastes? I think most folks would say, I have really struggled uh, with understanding Ecclesiastes. Well, it's wisdom literature. In other words, there are, there are certain pieces of literature, this being one that is understood as wisdom literature. We don't read it as history, okay? Uh, it's not a historical narrative. It may be in the, in, have history connected to it. But it's not being read for history's sake. The primary interest of the text is to deal with the complex and even sometimes the simple matters of life while giving attention to living wisely during those times and learning from life. So it's a piece of wisdom literature. And we have to understand that when we approach it. Because if we don't, we'll be confused and we won't be able to figure it out. Second, and I believe especially significant to Ecclesiastes, is the way the author shapes the work. You probably have already picked up on this if you have been reading it. But if not, let me encourage you as you do read it to pay close attention to this. When you read it, you will immediately recognize that the author has two people speaking. There is the narrator and then there is the person who is giving, talking about, illustrating and arguing from a personal standpoint. So... Let's just look at the book for just a minute so you'll understand what I'm talking about. The first 11 verses of Ecclesiastes are all done by the narrator. It's all done by the narrator. And then when we get to verse 12, then we hear, I, the preacher, have been, and from there, from there, all the way to chapter 12, and then go ahead and turn to the last chapter, or 12 chapters, all the way to chapter 12, through verse 8, is all about personal experiences, and this preacher is in the first person speaking. But then when we get to chapter 12 and verse 9, what do we hear? We shift back to the narrator. Besides being wise, the preacher, referring back to the preacher, also taught the people knowledge, and then it goes on to speak about what the preacher taught. And that's important if we're going to understand what is being said because the author is the same author, but he is using this literary device, this writing device, where he is sometimes the narrator at the beginning and the end, and all in between he is sharing from a very personal standpoint and speaking in the first person. Uh, 
kind of helpful in understanding. And they're both saying the same thing. It's all one message. Third, it's also helpful to be reminded that the author's message, as I just said, is unified. It just appears that the narrator may be saying something different, but the narrator's not saying different. The narrator is putting some uh, emphasis on what is being said by, we say, the preacher. And we'll talk about that in just a minute. Four, there's a word of caution. And I think it's important for us as we read this text is that we need to hold everything in Ecclesiastes in its context. Okay? Here's what I mean. It's dangerous to extract single statements from this text, even if they sound reasonable. You can't build your theology on these loosely disconnected statements. So, for instance, you cannot take the initial assertion, look, if you will, there in chapter 1, and we're going to look at it in just a minute, but the initial assertion in verse 2, vanity of vanities, says the preacher, vanity of vanities, all is vanity. We can't take that assertion and somehow take it out of its context and establish that as our theology for life and for viewing the world. We would be wrong. And there are other places in the course of this where positive things are stated that we also can't take and say, this is how we're going to build our theology. Fifth, Ecclesiastes does deal with fundamental complexities of life. So this is a very real book, one that we need to study. In fact, one of the reasons... I selected this and I was questioned back here a few weeks ago. So why in the world, when you were planning a preaching schedule, wasn't anybody from here, but, but you may have said this as well. Uh, how, why in the world, when you were planning a preaching schedule, did you pick the two most difficult books in the Bible to give attention to and you did it back to back? You went from Hebrews to Ecclesiastes. Both of them difficult. Hebrews, difficult in the New Testament. Ecclesiastes, equally difficult in the Old Testament. Why? Well, for that very reason. It's because they had something to say to us in our context, in this age, during this day. We need to hear these things. And we need to hear this message of Ecclesiastes. And here's what else we need to do. We need to be honest with ourselves as we work through these issues. Every person here will or has already struggled with some of these questions and philosophical issues. And a lot of these continue to resurface in the course of our lives during different phases and different periods of our life. I have come to one of those junctures in my life where I am asking the question, has my life meant anything? Which ultimately is asking why? Is my existence really significant in the course of a world? In the course of world events? I'm unknown. Have I done anything of any lasting significance? Have you ever asked that question? Maybe when you set out in life, did you plan for that and say, I really want to make a difference in the world? And then how many of us years later look back and say, but has that happened? These are real questions, real issues. Sixth, 
the question is often asked, uh, is Solomon the author of this book? You know what the answer is? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. There are really good conservative scholars who say he is. And then there are those really good conservative scholars who say he isn't. Here's what I do know. While we soon discover that Freddie Mercury, by the way, wrote Bohemian Rhapsody, was wrong. Freddie Mercury was wrong. Life does matter. I'm certain that Solomon's authorship doesn't really matter as it relates to the message of the book. Okay? So who is the author? Well, let's look in the text. We're going to begin. Let's read verses 1 through 11 today, and we're going to hear about the author, and then we're going to try, and I expanded it, Justine, <laughs> greatly. That's inside for Justine. I sent out earlier this week that I wasn't sure. I hadn't narrowed down the text. She texted me on Thursday, and I said, verses 1 through 3. Well, between Thursday when I texted her and, uh, and this morning when I walked in, it expanded to verse 11, but it, it's, it's okay. Thank you. Let's read the text. The words of the preacher, the son of David, king in Jerusalem. Vanity of vanities, says the preacher. Vanity of vanities, all is vanity. What does man gain by all the toil at which he toils under the sun? A generation goes and a generation comes, but the earth remains forever. The sun rises and the sun goes down and hastens to the place where it rises. The wind blows to the south and goes around to the north. Around and around goes the wind and on its circuits the wind returns. All streams run to the sea, but the sea's not full. To the place where the streams flow, where they flow again. All things are full of weariness. A man cannot utter it. The eyes not satisfied with seeing, nor the ear filled with hearing. What has been, will be. What has been done, is what will be done. And there's nothing new under the sun. Is there a thing of which it is said, see, this is... This is new. It's already been in the ages before us. There's no remembrance of former things, nor will there be any remembrance of later things. Yet to be among those who come after. The narrator wastes no time. He tells us who the author is. The author is... The words of the preacher. You probably have a note somewhere there in your, in your Bible that says that uh, that preacher is talking about a person but is more talking about an office. In the Hebrew, Koheleth. That is his name. Uh, kind of the convener. The, the one who is giving the message. And you probably recognize that even from the title of the book, Ecclesiastes. Well, that comes from the Greek, uh, 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 ecclesia, uh, ecclesia, the gathering. So there is a 
person who is speaking to a gathering. In other words, this is to the people and the person who is doing the, the teaching here, the teacher, the preacher, is the man Koheleth. He is the one who is doing this. He has convened and he is, has this message to share uh, to the people. And he wastes no time. The narrator goes right to the heart of the issue of the rest of what Koheleth is going to argue. What does he say? Well, it's captured in verses 2 and 3. Vanity of vanities, says the preacher. Vanity of vanities, all is vanity. That's it. That's the subject matter. That is what the entire book of Ecclesiastes is about. And then he comes back and he gives a rhetorical question and connects that. So what does man, as if to say... So what does man gain by all the toll at which he tolls under the sun? The assertion, all is vanity. Ask his question. Is he right? Is the existence of man of any value? Does life really mean anything? Let me ask this question. Have you ever wondered if your existence really makes any difference? Is that a bad question? Well, before we try to answer any of these questions, it'll be helpful to try to understand what Koheleth means when he says, all is vanity. Is he saying everything that exists, everything that is done means nothing? Well, the word vanity is translated from the Hebrew word uh, hevel. It actually means vapor or passing breath or kind of a brush of wind. Well, what do we know about a vapor? Well, it's there and it's gone. What do we know about a brushing wind? Well, it's, it's there and it's gone. A breath of air, we take it, we exhale, it's gone. We can't hold on to it. We can't capture it. We can't hold it. We can't make it stay. It's not static. It won't, we, can't get our, we can't get our hands around it in such a way. It is so fleeting. It is so quick. It's there and then it doesn't exist anymore. So what does Koheleth have in mind? Well, he's saying that everything is passing and nothing can be held on to and if we can't hold on to it, what can we not do? We can't change it. Even life itself is fleeting. Scripture tells us that. Take your Bibles and turn to Psalm chapter 39. Just look at a couple of passages of Scripture to help give us some reference where the same word is used to convey the same things. And it's exactly what Koheleth knows. Psalm 39, look in verse 5. Behold, you have made my days a few, what? Handbreaths, and my lifetime is nothing before you. Surely all mankind stands as a mere, it's translated there, breath. But it is the same word that is translated vanity. So we could read that. Surely all mankind stands as a mere vanity. It's just a breath. 
Look over in Psalm 144. And these are just a few. We could spend a great deal of time looking at verses of Scripture that point us to this very fact. What we want to do is to understand what Koheleth is saying about life so that we don't misunderstand what he is saying about life. 144, look at verse 4. Man is like a breath. His days are like a what? A passing shadow. So what does Koheleth have in mind? It seems that he is talking about the transient nature of human existence. And we know this to be true, don't we? We are here and then we are gone. The old saying goes is we are here today and we are gone tomorrow. And that is certainly true of those who will be living today, but tomorrow we will read about them in a local obituary. Just yesterday, I attended a memorial service of uh, a, a good friend of mine, Mr. Jim Fogelman. Saw Mr. Jim here over the course of the last few months, in and out of the doctor's offices. Saw him just, uh, just a few weeks ago when uh, his family was celebrating his birthday. Mr. Jim was 95, was in relatively good health. In fact, he was not sick. Sickness was not what led to his death. He had a heart attack and he died at 95. But just a few weeks ago, he was going in with his family to celebrate his birthday. And I saw him and I stopped and wished him a happy birthday. And, and we talked a little bit and it was good to see him again. And I'd just seen him a few weeks earlier. And then, what do I hear? I get a message from Carol to say, uh, Mr. Jim Fogelman passed away. He was here today and then he was gone. Isn't that the way life is? And that's exactly what Koalith has in mind. Notice what he says. A breath, a breath, says the preacher. A breath of breaths. All is a breath. All is passing. All is moving quickly. All is but a hand breath. All of what? All of life is but a breath. One day. And I don't know what day that'll be. But one day here in the life of of Oak Valley. We will gather on a Sunday and we will do what we are doing now and we will point each other to Christ and we will encourage each other and then we will meet the next week and one of us will not be here. Why? Because life is fleeting. And I've realized just how fleeting it is. I did it 30 I did it 40, I did it 50, I did it 60, and when I celebrated my 61st birthday the other day, I looked back, and where has it all gone? 61 years have passed me, and my life is but a breath. But there is something else that he has to say here that I think is important for us uh, to get our minds around, and that is, is that there is a, a kind of a, elusive nature to all of this as well. It's an elusive nature. He's trying to communicate. We understand how the world works. We do. But the larger portion of the world, we don't have a clue as to how it works. Notice what he says here. He says, vanity of vanity, says the preacher. Vanity of vanities. All is vanity. What do you think he's trying to say? 
Life is short. Life is short. It's but a breath. Life is short, but a breath. He says that five times in just a matter of a few words. And then he says, what does man have to gain? In other words, what profit is it in all that he does in life at which he does under the sun? You'll see that as a reoccurring phrase throughout the course of Ecclesiastes, under the sun. He's simply talking about in what we experience in our life, in our circumstances, in what we can see and know and experience. Now he's going to go on to tell us about his experience. The preacher will. The narrator is setting this up and then the preacher is going to come and he's going to begin to recount his own experiences in life and what he has come to understand from them. But the point here is, is that the only thing you and I can base life on in this sense is our experiences if we only look at life under the sun. Now I'm going to point you in this direction is that's not all that Koaleth is going to have to say. Because if all we see is life under the sun and our circumstances and our situation, we might conclude like Freddie Mercury and we might can conclude like the way Koheleth is going to argue, and I believe he's playing the devil's advocate here to some degree, that there is really no meaning in life if we only view it in the context of what takes place in our immediate circumstances. But isn't that what the secular humanist does? Isn't that what they do? Isn't that part of that worldview? Setting aside the fact that they were created, but that they are nothing more than just a glob of cells that have just randomly come about, and that every other person is nothing more than a glob of cells, therefore their life here does what? It means nothing. But you know that worldview and that philosophy is not so far from us because we constantly battle with wondering, does our life really matter? Well, if we view it only under the sun and our circumstances and what we see and what we can observe, we might conclude that. But Koalith is pointing us to an argument that says, I have worked through all of these things, but we have to view life not just from under the sun, but we have to view life through the lens which God has given us to view it from, and that is from His perspective. We saw that this morning, didn't we? In Psalm 139, what did we hear? He has orchestrated and planned everything. He has known us. He has formed us and shaped us in our mother's womb. He knit us together. And everything about what God does has some purpose why would an all-knowing and all-powerful God an all-wise God even spend his time to consider before the foundation of the world 
a creation such as you, if it did not mean, if you do not mean something. That's where Koalith is pointing us. That's certainly where the psalmist in 139 point us. So when we stand up on a sanctity of human life day or Sunday or at an event or just in our devotional reading of Psalm 139, please hear that at the backdrop of all of that, as we sang a while ago, search us, O God, that God intends to know us because he has known us before the foundation of the world and he certainly cares about us and the psalmist knew that. The psalmist knew that and said, search me and show me if there be anything in me that is inconsistent with who? With you. Why? Because the psalmist has turned his attention to viewing his life and seeing his life through the lens of God. Not able to see and know all that God knows. And Koalith tells us that. Look in verse 4. He goes on to say, a generation goes and a generation comes, but the earth remains forever. There are things here that Koalith and the narrator certainly get right. Even in, even in the presentation of a skewed worldview, they get it right. What happens? Generations come and generations go. Well, what's here when they're gone? The earth. Now I want you to think about this for just a minute. And I've pondered on this for weeks, but I'm really pondering on it now. I don't have it worked out. But I'm asking myself the question, if we viewed life in this way, then there would be in our minds, and, and I'm going somewhere with this, okay, there would be in our minds that if we are image bearers of God, then we should outlast the earth. And the fact is we do, by the way. We will, those who trust Christ will outlast the earth. But remember, Koalith is only looking at things as they are under the sun. And as he sees it, I've been born and I die. And he repeats this throughout. And we're going to look at those texts in the weeks to come. But he is born and he dies. And what is left behind is the earth. And it goes on. And then another generation comes and goes. And then what's left behind is the earth. He does get it. He understands he understands this. And Mike, I'm going to point to you because yesterday this was kind of a, a joke on my side. I don't know if you laughed about it or not. But we were texting back and forth about the rain because he was going to try to work in and out of showers. Well, I got up yesterday morning and when I headed out early yesterday morning, you know what I saw? I saw a double rainbow right over here. I saw a double rainbow kind of in the northwest. And, and I joked with Mike on the text that I saw a rainbow. What did the rainbow not mean? What was it not a symbol? It was not a symbol of the promise of God that it wasn't going to rain yesterday. Oh no, it rained yesterday. It was a sign of a promise that what would not be destroyed by the rain again. 
this earth, this world. The psalmist understood this is a Hebrew man who has the backdrop and understands and remembers the promise that God had made. That it would not be destroyed like that again. That it was going to continue. But then look in verse 5. And over the course of 5, 6, and 7, I want you to hear how he points to the ordinary cycles of creation. And what he's doing, he is pointing and saying that the earth continues and man doesn't. He says the sun rises and the sun goes down. It hastens to the place it rises. The wind blows to the south and it goes to the north and around it goes again. And on its circuits the wind returns. And all streams run to the sea, but the sea's not full to the place where the streams flow. There they flow again. His point is, is that God has created this world, has created the earth. And it in His creation is held together by Him and is sustained and is not disrupted because he holds all of that together, but from the man who is looking only under the sun, what does he see? He sees these ongoing cycles that make no sense. All the labors that are going on here never produce anything. It would seem that if all the waters run from the mountain into the sea, that there would be an objective at the end of the day that the sea would do what? That would be full and it would be overfilled. Isn't that what you would look for if water continues to run into something? But he says, not so. All of that labor is for nothing because when it gets out there, so to speak, it is evaporated up. The winds blow and it rains back down where? In the mountains and over the land. And where does the water go again? It runs back into the streams and back into the rivers and back into the trib, And it makes its way back to the sea again. And this cycle goes on and on and on. Well, how does that relate to man? Notice what he says. What does man gain? That word gain is a, is a financial term. What, what does man profit? What's left over? What is, the, what is the return on all that man does? There's not a return on what the earth does. What is the return on what man does? And he is arguing that if there is no return on what the earth does and the earth continues and man lives and he dies and then another group of men come behind him and they live and they die, then certainly there can't be any profit in his living if there is none even in the course of creation. Which causes him in verse 8 to conclude what? All things are full of weariness. In other words, all things are futile. So much so that a man can't utter it. In other words... A man cannot even understand the weariness and the futility of all that goes on in the course of life. In the course of the cycles of life. He can't understand that. In other words, it is beyond him. Have you ever thought about life and all that goes on in the world and wondering if it is beyond you? 
Have you reasoned that it is all beyond you? If you reason to that end, you have reasoned well. What do we do? Well, notice what he says. He says, what does man gain by all the toil at which he toils under the sun? As if to say, I am observing life with all my observation skills. I am observing life. And I am looking intently at life to understand what life is about, to understand where I fit into the course of life, to understand where you fit into the course of life, to understand where we all fit into the course of life. And yet, when I look with all my observation skills, and I'm intently observing, all things, he says and concludes, are full of futility. Is he right or is he wrong? That's a question we have to ask. Is he right or is he wrong? So much so that a man can't utter it. And then he says this. He says, and I know this to be true because of this very thing. And here are the two reasons. This is two arguments that he knows this to be true. The eyes not satisfied with seeing... And the ear is not filled with hearing. Are you satisfied? Are you really satisfied with anything? I accuse Janice of not being satisfied with anything. (laughs) She turns it back on me and says, you're not satisfied with anything. Are you satisfied with anything? Let me ask you this. I don't know if you're moviegoers. When you watched your last good movie, did that settle it and you never want to see another good movie? Or did it cause you to want to find another good movie and watch it? That's right, Wallace. You wanted to watch another good movie, didn't you? You know why? That one didn't satisfy you, son. And the next one you see that you really like is not going to satisfy you either. And that is the foundation and the basis for some of the arguments that he's going to make along the way through the rest of his personal experiences as he shares is that nothing satisfies us. How many songs did you listen to this week? A lot. You didn't stop with the first one, did you? You didn't even stop with the tenth one, did you? You know why? Your ear wasn't satisfied. You could listen to a lot of great music. The point is, is that even in today's life, where we have access to so much visual stuff and so much audible stuff, he was pointing to the very fact that all of this is futile because we never are satisfied. In other words, nothing completes us and satisfies us under the sun. That is a foundational truth that he will elaborate on and that he will flesh out. And we will come, if we don't yet understand it in our own lives, hopefully we will come to understand that very truth. And then look at verse 9. Here's his second reason that he knows that everything is futile. What has been is what will be, 
And what has been done is what will be done. And there is nothing new under the sun. That rhymes, doesn't it? There is nothing new under the sun. How many of you have ever said that? There's nothing new under the sun. In preparation for this week, I happened to read, and I can't even remember what book I read it in, but uh, it used guns. Some of you are, are gun enthusiasts, okay? Uh, you, you know, you, you know what a, our our new firearms and all of those are. There's nothing more than a souped-up slingshot. That's all they are. When David met on the banks of the river and he met the giant Goliath, what did he take with him? He took with him a sling and a stone. What was he trying to do? He was trying to throw a solid, a solid object in the direction of his enemy in attempt to do what? To put him down. And then over the course of the years, we developed firearms and what does that gun do? It fires a solid object, lead by the way, which comes from where? Rocks the earth. And we are trying to throw rocks in a different way. There's something to be said for that. What's new? Well, nothing's really new. Nothing in that sense is really new. Back whenever I was coming up as a young boy, little boy, um, bass Ouijans uh, were the things that you saw people wear. You know what I'm talking about? We called them penny loafers. That was the thing. Well, <clears throat> I brought them back into my high school because I, I wore bass Ouijans. And someone commented one day at high school, he said, uh, I used to see my mom and daddy wear those. I said, well, well, they're back. They're back. Well, they weren't back yet. I was wearing them. I brought them back. Along with a whole lot of other people a little bit later on, brought them back. But the point is, is that they, they came back. They were a classic. Nothing really changed. You know, we went today from the from the narrow skinny tie to the real wide ties. And I was looking at some of our high school pictures and particularly Mark Powell is a friend of mine. He always likes sending me pictures of him. He's always comparing me to him. And, and, he, and I see these ties that the knots are just huge and they're wide. And then I look at people today and they're wearing these huge knots and their ties and everything. Everything just cycles back around, doesn't it? Everything just cycles back around around it really does that is the point is that nothing ever really changes there are advancements in things but at the end of the day even with all of our computers and stuff and all of the things that we do in the way of technology to communicate what at the end of the day are we doing we are talking and we are communicating and he in this age before the computer before the iphone he understood that it seems as though things just continue to cycle back around. That there is nothing new. It, he said in verse 10, 
It has already been in the ages before us. What are we trying to say here? Well, the point is that we're trying to make is that man is transient, nature is not, and things seem to change, but they really don't change drastically. At the end of the day, Koheleth is saying, Koheleth is saying, look at life. And when we see it under the sun, here is what we see, and it is but a breath. Verse 11. This is a sober note, mind you. There is no remembrance of former things, nor will there be any remembrance of latter things, yet to be among those who come after. Some translations say there are no remembrance of former people, nor will there be any remembrance of those who come after. Turn over to Psalm 103. Back some years ago when I was <coughs> had committed this psalm to memory, this particular portion of the psalm struck me. Still does. Verse 14, Psalm 103. For He, meaning God, knows our frame. He remembers that we are dust. As for man, his days are like grass. He flourishes like a flower of the field, for the wind passes over it, and it is gone. What does that last phrase say? And its place knows it no more. Koalith was helping us to see and to understand just how quick life passes us. You won't remember what I have said here today. We don't remember things. We just don't. I get that. That's the reason that I do it for longer. And that's the reason that we do it every week. You don't remember. I don't remember. What's even more significant when we give attention to life is that you won't be remembered. I've heard this question asked. I have an interest in my people. But I know very little about my people. What do you know about your great-great-grandmother? Anything much? What do you know about your great-great-granddaddy? Anything much? Uh-uh. You didn't know them. Was what they did and the things they did that were significant, were they passed on to you to the point of remembrance? How many of you know, even know where they are buried? You may. Some of you don't even know where they were buried. What's the point? 
not to be morbid. Just to be truthful with what he understood about life. The reality is, is that life is but a breath. Does that mean that it is of no value? That is not what Koaleth is communicating. He is communicating that if we only see life under the sun, we may reason to that end. But that is not the end of the story. Turn with me to Romans chapter 8. I asked a while ago if in fact he was correct when he said that everything is futile. Verse 18 of Romans chapter 8, Paul writes, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. Okay? Without fleshing all of that out, there seems to be their glory revealed to us, those who believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, who trust in Him. Paul's talking to the church, to the believers, that a glory is to be revealed. When? At some point in time, but it hadn't been revealed. But it is more glory than it has been revealed. In verse 19, for creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For creation was subjected to what? To futility. That's just a New Testament word for this, what he was trying to say uh, in the course of everything. And it's futility, the New Testament word. Subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of Him who subjected it. Who subjected it? God had subjected it. In hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and to obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in pains of childbirth now, and not only creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit. Who do what? The first fruits of the Spirit, who have the Spirit, which means what? We read earlier this morning, which means we have eternal life. So, does life just pass and it's a breath here? Yes. And only looking at it under the sun, it would seem that that is all that there is, like the secular humanist would say. But that is not all that there is. There is eternal life in Christ. But we ourselves who have found the first fruits of the Spirit grown inwardly as we wait eagerly for the adoption as sons. Koalith says, so what does it 
prophet a man. What did Jesus say? What does it profit a man to live? If he lives for everything for this life, what does it profit him? The answer to that is, is that if lived for under the sun only, I tell you what it will profit him. It will profit him just exactly what we read today from Galatians chapter 6. For whatsoever a man sows, that is what he will reap. For if he sows to the flesh, he will what? He will reap to the flesh. And if he sows to the Spirit, what will he reap? He will reap eternal life. That is our introduction to Ecclesiastes. Over the course of the next four weeks, we will explore what Koaleth was seeking to communicate and look at his personal experiences and see if they match ours, but at the end, get to where he got in understanding what? We'll turn to chapter 12 and this will close our time. In verse 13, that at the end of the matter, all has been heard. This is what the narrator said. Fear God and keep His commandments for this is the whole duty of man. This is huge because it has been lived out with God in mind. For God will bring every good deed into judgment and every secret thing, whether good or evil. Pray with me. God grant that we come to understand the reality of and the depth of this truth. As we live life in this fallen world. In Christ's name, Amen.